This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. You know, I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. We've been doing this show for 21 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been on the radio for 31 years in Kansas City, been in practice for 41 years as a sports psychologist. As you know, I work with all levels of athletes from youth sports all the way up to the professional and Olympic levels. And we do this show each week to talk about psychology and sports. We talk about fan behavior. We talk about athletes' behavior, coaches' behavior. You know, a couple weeks ago, we had a stimulating interview with Christy Moore, the umpire who got assaulted by a mom at a 12-year-old softball game. And she and I have been in conversation since. We're working on developing a program for parents at youth sports events because there's nothing out there. And every week now, in fact, almost every day, I'm getting messages emails and, and text messages from people showing me out of control people at games. And, you know, the, the psychological side of sports, as, as you know, if you've listened to this show, is something I've talked about obviously forever. Mental health and athletes has been something that in the last couple of years has come in into the forefront of our discussions. I've talked about it forever on this show, but people have always, you know, said, come on, doc, you know, you don't need to talk about that stuff with athletes. They're, they're, you know, they got it together. They've got things going on. Hey, athletes are people. And I don't care, you know, as you know, I was the Royal Psychologist for a long time. I got to know Bo Jackson, probably the greatest athlete of modern times. Bo Jackson was a person, human being, just like anybody else. He had feelings and emotions. Athletes have to deal with life just like we do, but they're in the spotlight. They have to deal with a lot of things. Professional athletes have just as many issues as anybody else. But because they're athletes, we think they're superior to us. And as I've done this show, one of the things I've been trying to do is educate people and, and, and make people aware of a lot of the things that are going on. And today, I'm privileged to have as a guest. His name is Dr. William Parham. He is a licensed psychologist, board certified in counseling psychology. He teaches at Loyola Marymount in, in University in California. And he is the director of the inaugural program, the Mental Health and Wellness Program for the NBA. And it started in 2018. And he's worked with athletes across the board, as I have. And, and I'm very, very excited to have him on the show today and talk with him. Dr. Parham, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dr. Jacobs, for the invitation. And I look forward to the conversation. And good morning to your listening audience. Well, let's start, start with this. First of all, you're out in California, so you're up really early. So I appreciate that. Let, let, let's talk about what you're doing now with the NBA. Because I've, I've worked with professional teams throughout my career and typically what I found is that there are people who are open-minded to having a psychologist around, and there are people who are not. And believe me, the people who are not, they don't want people like us around. So tell me how this program got going and what your role is. Well, my role 
<clears throat> particularly serving as the director of the entire program. It's an inaugural program uh, in sports and certainly for professional uh, systems, sports systems. But I serve as the director of the Mental Health and Wellness Program for the National Basketball Players Association, program that started in 2018, came on the heels of a recent uh, collection of athletes, actually, uh, Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, Kelly Oubre, uh, to name a few, uh, a couple of coaches uh, that I will not name. Uh, but I say they, that is the latest because, quite honestly, the voice of need for mental health and wellness services support has been ongoing. And I'll get to that a little bit later in the conversation. But it was largely as a result of those recent athletes, but also I have to understand uh, the response of the Players Association in a larger context. Uh, it goes without saying that uh, environmental context that surrounded the birth of this program was in the context of Black Lives Matter, hashtag Me Too. A lot of the hashtag movements, essentially the identity reclamation movements, where people were saying, I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm no longer going to put up with this oppression and this abuse that I have had and this disrespect. So it was in that larger context. Basketball players were saying, I'm willing to hoop, but you have to see me as a person, as a man, as a human being. And so we listened to the voice of the players. And as a result of that, developed a pretty robust program that includes several key points. One is that we have a directory of licensed vetted mental health professionals in every city where there's an NBA franchise, including Las Vegas, where there's a lot of activity during the summer. We've created a mental health literacy program. That is, we have a portal now that uh, all the 450 players can access that really educates them about what are we talking about in terms of mental health and wellness. Uh, as a, a supplement to that, you know that this is Mental Health Awareness Month, the month of May. It's a nationally celebrated uh, awareness Correct. about mental health and wellness. And our theme this year that we could probably talk later on in the conversation is mental health is actually mental wealth. And we're, we have some dialogue around that. But the other, getting back to the program, we have a touch point program where we have opportunity, several opportunities to literally touch base with all 450 um, players, active players in the, in the what we call the 450 fraternity. We also have been very deliberate and intentional in working with journalists, who I personally consider as part of my team, uh, to really help us get the word out about the humanness of the people that audiences are entertained by. And again, these guys are willing to hoop, uh, and what you see is just phenomenal talent, individually and collectively as teams, as evidenced by the, the playoffs. But what often goes unseen are the internal struggles, uh, the, the challenges that they have, that uh, they have to keep private uh, for a lot of reasons that we might get into. But essentially, we're growing and really headed in a positive direction, really wanting to spin a different narrative that these are persons before they are performers. Let me ask this question. Um, what, what allowed this to happen? Because 
I've been, as I've shared with my listeners for years, I've been doing this forever as one of the first sports psychologists in the country. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, we're not interested, we don't want to do this. In fact, when I first interviewed back in 1981 at four of the smaller uh, local colleges here, one of the athletic directors who was wearing a cape told me, quote, we we don't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft. Um, Obviously, things have changed a little since then. But what has allowed the NBA to wake up and realize the importance of this now? Uh, Well, first of all, I want to make a distinction between the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association. The Players Association that I represent is actually the union, uh, which started in 1954 in response to players not being compensated with per diems, benefits, et cetera. So 1954, Bob Cousy and a host of other uh, marquee players got together again and said, okay, we're willing to hoop and do our thing, but we have to be compensated differently. And so since then, it has blossomed into, again, the voice of the players, which is a very, very big distinction. I think that's the large part why this thing is now launched, because of the voice of the players. I'm of the mindset, uh, Dr. Jacobs, because I have actually been doing this a long time also. I've actually been practicing since 1981. And, well, then you and I started at the same time. Yeah, and it's, uh, I, I go on record now saying I'm not at all convinced. Well, let me back up. The, the current narrative seems to be that uh, systems have, quote-unquote, failed, sport systems have failed at addressing the mental health and wellness of athletes, and therefore we now have this spawning of a lot of different outreach and intervention programs. I don't buy that premise at all. I don't believe that systems, athletic systems, uh, have failed at addressing the mental health needs of athletes. I, in fact, believe that they have succeeded at not addressing the mental health and wellness needs of athletes. Well, when we come, we come back from our first break, Dr. Parma, I want to address that with you. And look, let's see how this is going to work and how it's going to make athletes – give athletes the opportunity to talk about who they are as a person because that's what this is about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Dr. William Parham. He works with athletes all over the country, specifically the NBA, working in their mental health wellness program. And we'd love to hear from you, as always. Our phone number is 913 Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Dr. William Parham. He is the director of the Mental Health and Wellness Program of the National Basketball Players Association. And we're talking with him today in a great interview about mental health and wellness, specifically with athletes, but in the NBA as well, because that's where he's working with this program. So, Dr. Parham, let me ask you. Why, you know, athletes have had problems forever. This isn't like all of a sudden now they've got issues. Athletes have had issues forever, which I know you'll get into in a moment. But why is this Why is this coming out now? Why now? In the last few years, you know, Kevin Love came out with the anxiety attacks he had in a game with the Cavaliers. We've had multiple professional athletes talk about their issues. Naomi Osaka this past year, uh, you know, withdrew from the French Open. 
You have Simone Biles in the Olympics. You've got all these things going on. Michael Phelps has talked extensively about his depression and drinking. It's coming out in the open. Now, why do you think now it's coming out so much? Well, I think there are a lot of forces. Again, I, if I put it in the context of the hashtag movements, Black Lives Matter specifically, hashtag Me Too, hashtag um, Stop Asian Hate, I can go on and on. I think it was in that context that the large populations who've been tradi- uh, traditionally uh, survivors, continue to be survivors of a system of oppression and inequality and, and no, no access are basically saying, we're willing to continue, but you have to see the humanness of who we are. And I think it was in that context that, again, we listened to the voice of the NBA athletes, but I also want to make a distinction here. What we are talking about here are, is not athlete mental health. We're talking about mental health and wellness of people. Of people, exactly. Who have to be excellent at performing athletics and sports. So this is a human issue and human condition. And what I said earlier, that the system hasn't failed at addressing the mental health and wellness of athletes. Uh, they really have succeeded at not addressing it. The same is true for the larger system as a whole. And why, and why is that? Why do you think they ha- it hasn't been done? They have not wanted to put up with what they believe is, in a, in a, inaccurately, open it up Pandora's box of compromise. And if you're at all familiar with the history of the insane asylums, what they used to call them, and the disparate and the uh, cruel and inhumane treatment of patients in, in psychiatric facilities back then were called asylums. You have to understand the roots of that and, and the evolution of that because you still see vestiges of that way of thinking uh, which introduces a whole topic of stigma. See, in long and sh- story short, citizens are incentivized to keep things private. We don't have permissions to really share authentically who we are and what we struggle with because there's a lot of costs. So people are always asking, what is the price of the ticket for me to disclose X, Y, Z issue. So, again, that's a universal human condition, not solely attributed to athletes. But I think athletes have had a slow movement of putting up their hands and say, hey, I'm human, I'm human. And as uh, I also know, if our audiences remember and look at the logo of the NBA, the very logo of the NBA is the silhouette of Jerry West, Hall of Famer, Mr. Clutch, phenomenal athlete. Well, if you read his book, his memoir, entitled West on West, My Charmed and Tormented Life, he had a long history of major depression. When you look at Spencer Haywood, when you look at Isaiah Thomas, I could go on about 50 different athletes who've been quite public about their story. There's enormous pressure that people simply don't want to hear about. They want to be entertained. And athletes, because it's a short career, because of race, because of gender, because of celebrity, contextual variables, they are all, again, incentivized to sort of keep their mouth shut and keep moving. And that's what they have been reinforced to do. But it's come to a point. It's come to a head. Let me, let me, let me ask you if I can interrupt you here. Yeah. 
social media um, has a lot of benefits, but a lot of uh, negative aspects to it as well, from my perspective. And all the professional athletes that I work with, and actually a lot of college athletes, I, I tell them to get off social media during their seasons. Because what I'm finding is with so many of them, as soon as they screw up, uh, they get the most horrendous messages sent to them about what a terrible person they are. When they do well, you know, they're, they're almost godlike in people's minds. And what I've told them, you know, don't, these are people that don't know you. They, they don't know who you are. They don't know you as a person. They just see what you do as an athlete. And so I think for many of them, it's caused a lot of headaches and issues. And, 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 and we talk about depression and anxiety. For a lot of them, it's brought that on. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think there's a lot of abuses in, in social media. I think it has its pluses, as you rightly said. I think it has far more abuses going on because I think the the spread and the evolution of social media far outpaces the systems of accountability that need to be in place in order to monitor content. And, and as a result of not having those systems in place, people say anything at any time to anybody and do not... Uh, pull their punches, if you will, about why they're saying it or if they have a right to say it. And I think that that's unfortunate. Um, I think the intervention that is necessary at this time, or three or four, or one, is understand that while athletes in this case have no control over what happens, they have 100% control over how they respond to it. So certainly monitoring their intake of social media providing some supports for them to manage uh, social media, their responses to that when they get overwhelmed. Importantly, though, I think it's going to take executive leadership to really uh, sit at the table of conversation with politicians and legislators to enact uh, mandates and statutes, laws, if you will, that says these are the limits beyond which we won't go. And, and sharing what it is we have to share. Uh, so I think it's a collaborative effort, but I think it's uh, the gist of it, as long as the evolution of social media will outpace the systemic structure and accountability, we're always going to have this dilemma. So as, as the director of this program, you, you're dealing with athletes. I know you're setting up uh, psychologists in each city where the NBA has a team, which is great. Um, what's the biggest issue an NBA player has psychologically? What would you, would, is it a confidence issue? Is it a self-esteem issue? Is it a uh, pressure issue? Is it, is it the, the need to perform? What would you say the biggest topic they have? Or, or just personal stuff? What do you think it is? I, I think it's more personal, more human. Uh, certainly to be at an elite level, you have to have a certain level of confidence and swag, and I, I don't know that that's really an issue. I think life issues that they've not been able to address uh, that they've been forced to put down. Uh, it comes a time where everything explodes. In fact, I I authored an article several years ago called Invisible Tattoos, which really addresses childhood trauma of athletes. And uh, so I encourage you and the audience to take a look at that, because that gets more into detail than we have time to really talk about here. But I use that image of a tattoo 
very deliberately because for those of you and your listening audience who in fact have tattoos, they were painful to get on, and depending on where on your body it was inked, it really, really hurts. It's colorful. You're proud of it. It has some symbolic meaning. Well, in like manner, early childhood trauma brings forth a whole set of emotions, each of which is akin to uh, inkwell. Well, when we, when we come back from this break, I want to get into that more because yeah, I think you're hitting on something that I want to address. I'm talking to Dr. William Parham, who's the director of the Mental Health and Wellness Program from the National Basketball Players Association and the Leading Sports, Sports Radio 810. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Today I'm talking with Dr. William Parham, the director of the National Basketball Association, Players Association Mental Health and Wellness Program. And Dr. Parham, let me ask this question. You know, I, I have a saying I've used forever that an athlete with a stronger mind is the one who will be able to come on top. It doesn't matter how physically strong you are, it's how strong you are mentally. I will also say a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. Obviously, the players who make it to the NBA are physically superior than pretty much anybody else who plays basketball, obviously, psychologically as well. But, but along the way, a lot of these guys had, and, and, and women in the, in the WNBA as well, we'll include them in here as well, uh, there's been verbal abuse, there's been derogatory language used towards them, there's been a lot of negativity towards them, and it has to affect them in some way. You can be, you know, I don't, I don't care if you're seven foot two and you can uh, stuff a basketball or run the court and do all these great things, but you still have to have a strong disposition. How, how, do, how do we get to work with these guys to help them to deal with these things and get them to open up about this? Well, again, I don't know that I, I'll take ownership of that, have the power to get anybody to open up uh, personally. Uh, I think I can lay the conditions out uh, but I think it largely is relational capital. If they trust and have some confidence in who you are as a person, uh, then they're going to open up. But that said, I, I want to be real clear again that these issues that athletes struggle with are not sport-related. They're human-related. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Excuse that, me. Yeah. I, exactly. Exactly. And that—that's my point. Is, but because they played sports, oftentimes they would have coaches who would be somewhat verbally abusive towards them because they thought they were stronger than the quote-unquote average person because they're an athlete. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree that coaches engage in abusive athletes. I would not agree that that is the first time that they have been abused. Right, right. Um, I, I think that that current situation that they find themselves in is actually re-triggering that which has already occurred. You see, there was a classic study came out um, in 1996 to 1998 by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta and Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. Essentially, it was called the ACE study, A-C-E, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Close to 18,000 patients, real rich set of data. But a key point that I want you and the audience to hear, if each of you were to go into your mobile phone right now, your directory, and randomly selected 100 people, Theoretically, those are the people closest to you because they're in your phone directory. 
but randomly selected 100 people. The data are exceedingly clear that 65 out of 100 people would have had from one to four adverse childhood experiences in their life, the earliest of which, not uncharacteristically, would have occurred before the age of 10. So a lot of us are carrying around baggage. And if that's true, which is code for it is, there's really only two questions on the proverbial table. How many pieces of luggage are you carrying and what's packed inside each bag? So as we grow and develop in the context of athletes, when they have these abusive coaches, when they have challenging times for transitions or trades, when their career is coming to an end, when they get injured, all of those seem like athletes are responding only to that situation. They are, but not exclusively. They get re-triggered with all that past unreconciled stuff that they have been carrying around that all of us carry around. And it's not until we really look at the, the influence of past and upbringing and not only the successes in overcoming all of that, but the strategies we have needed to employ to keep stuff packed down as a way of surviving. But we can only do that for so long. And, of course, that's where counseling comes in and can be beneficial for anybody, whatever they do in life. Well, that's where counseling comes in, but also that's where reframing the narrative. Again, we are promoting not – see, the mental health and mental illness historically is rooted in models of pathology, i.e. the study of disease. So concepts like coming up to speed, I'm going to help you build your confidence, we're going to help you find your motivation. For me, as a practicing psychologist, that is absolutely doesn't make any conceptual sense. Because all of that language and the founding of the discipline of psychology is rooted in pathology, which is essentially a deficit model way of thinking. It assumes that there are gaps and things that people don't have. So there you come up with language. <clears throat> Let's plug in the hole, <clears throat> me fill in the gaps, come up to speed. All those uh, illuminate a lack. Well, there's a different way to look at that. Do people actually lack those things, or are they already innately blessed with them, yet don't come out? You know, something can't come out of a, if I had a bottle of water pouring it out on the table, nothing can come out of something unless it's already in there. So our goal is to not get athletes to sort of fill in the gaps, but to discover the innate genius that they have. They actually have hidden stashes of healing gems. So you're talking about going into someone's foundation of who they are as a person and building from there. Foundation of the person, but really taking a look at, again, mental wealth which is the sum of the emotional vitality, which all of us as persons have and we are in possession of, even if we are unaware that we possess these gems of inner strength. So when we talk about dedication, developing options, curiosity, integrity, authenticity, gratitude, passion, vitality, creativity. And the perspective, all of those are gems. Why do you think now... In, in our current scenario, this is, this is happening and it's starting to work versus five, ten years ago. I think there is more receptivity, but I think the first domino, the, the dominoes need to continue to fall. I think they, they have fallen so far, the one or two dominoes. 
but I think people aren't ready. And I also want to give some uh, acknowledgement to COVID. COVID and its related strains that continue to evolve have devastated, have really altered uh, the lives of the globe, actually, in ways that we can't even yet to fully imagine or fathom. The countless loss and, and despair but the flip side of that is also presented us with a lot of opportunities for growth and healing. To ask ourselves what's really important. To really stand in place and realize that we aren't as in control of our lives as we think we are. And well, so that is one of the hidden stashes and gems of discovering this, something we already knew. But I think COVID and its related strains, I think all of this global unrest that's going on, all of these provoke us to say, hmm, Really? Am I in control as I need to be? Where am I going with my life? What is my purpose? And again, that applies to athletes, but also to the general public. When we come back for our last segment, I'd like to get into developing younger athletes and at the collegiate level, what can be done. You're, you're working with athletes at the professional level here, and obviously you work with athletes at all, at all walks of all levels of life and walks of life, but I want to know what we can do to help younger athletes out. And specifically to me, and you know, I know, I know you've talked about the, the, the whole person and who they are, but also with coaches. And because one of the things that I, I find more and more as I do my work is just how coaches leave such impacts on athletes and so many in such a negative way. And I'd like to get into that with you because I think educating coaches about mental health, wellness, uh, can really be a, a great asset for them. I, as I said earlier, I've always said a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And I say that because I have so many athletes who will tell me how they've been verbally abused, and some even physically, by coaches. Um, so I think educating not just – not you know, I agree with you 100%. It's the whole person. It's who we are as a person and, and the way we were raised and all that. But also how we can, I think, educate coaches about this aspect of, of performance and who these people are as people. I mean, that's what I want to get to in our last segment. I'm talking to Dr. William Parham. He's the director of the Mental Health and Wellness Program for the National Basketball Players Association. Hope you're enjoying this interview. It's a fascinating interview. We're on the leader in sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm having a fascinating interview this morning with Dr. William Parham. He's the director of the National Basketball Players Association, Player Association Mental Health and Wellness Program. And we've been talking about what he does and, 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 and how he's de de developing this program to work with athletes. But as we went to our last break here, I started talking about coaches. And, you know, Dr. Parham, in my, in my 41 years of work, 
I've worked with some incredibly great coaches, and I've worked with some coaches who I can't use the words to describe the type of people they were on the radio because we're on the radio. Uh, they're they're terrible people, and um, they they treated athletes poorly. And but it's not just a one time deal. This is this is a it, it, it's almost a, a way they coach, and it happens quite frequently. Yet people have been afraid to say anything, well, because they're winning. I mean, I, I'm dealing right now with a collegiate, uh, some collegiate soccer, female soccer players who have a coach who is verbally abusive to these girls repeatedly. In fact, I'm seeing a number of them in my practice. But because this coach has been successful and won a championship at a, a certain level, he's still there. Um, but a number of these, these ladies quit the team because they can't put up with this. So doesn't that play a key role in, in, in with what you're trying to do? And isn't that a, a direction that we could go in terms of helping coaches out to understand their language and, and the way they communicate? Well, I think it's absolutely essential. As I mentioned at the top of this conversation, you have to understand that context is everything. How does that apply in this situation where you can't understand the behavior of a coach? unless you understand the environment within which he or she coaches. In plain point of fact, all of the cases I'm aware of, of which there are many, of abuse, as a coach, athlete abuse, 100% of the cases, the system, the, the, uh, the university, the larger systemic structure, the executive leadership of those systems know full well what is going on. They do. And they have refused to do anything about it. But why? I'm not... Same university. Well, because of money, because of status, because they think that that's what they want to do. They don't want to risk losing income, losing revenue. They just don't want to do it. Wait, wait, excuse me. You just, I, I think you hit it, money and revenue, but the word you used was losing. They don't want to, they don't want to lose. They well, don't want to lose his reputation, but they're selling the souls of these athletes. And they, they are at a cost. And so you can't have a coach's education tell them about their mental health not without indicting the system and, and really being pretty aggressive about that because you can win without the abuse. But the abuse, essentially, all athletes who are feeling abused are actually abused twice, not only by the, uh, the seemingly visible perpetrator, but by the silent perpetrator, which is a system within which he or she functions. Same way with you mentioned working with youth and younger athletes. Well, you cannot understand the behavior of a young athlete absent understanding the context of his family, his guardians or parents, flat out can't. And until you begin to address parental behavior, uh, their struggles, their issues, all of which are legitimate, but it's, an act, it's acted out in the context of the kids. So essentially where I'm going with this the analogy often used, Dr. Jacobs, is that of a smoke detector. When your smoke detector goes off in your home, you don't take it down to go get it fixed. The fact that it went off suggests that it's working, not that it's not. So when I see uh, athletes in a slump, when I see athletes getting in depressions, into funks, into whatever it is we want to call it, those are smoke detectors indicating that something else in their environment is going on, and I guarantee you it has nothing to do with athletics. Exactly. It's coming out in the form of athletics because that's what they are, in fact, doing most of their time. And this, is, this, this, this totally reinforces what I've been saying for years is that athletes are people. 
forget that they're an athlete. Forget you're an entertainer, a politician, a lawyer, a doctor, a janitor, a, tra- a trash collector. Doesn't matter. You're a human being, and and who you are is a reflection of your genetics, the way you were raised, and the environment you're in now. You can't change your genetics or the way you were raised, but you can do something about the environment you're in now and deal with how you were raised. And what you're saying, if I'm if I'm interpreting it correctly, is you're trying to help these young men look at who they are as people where they came from, how things happened, and help them build and develop who they are as a person? Well, I'm trying to work with them individually, uh, both athletes but also entertainers, but I'm also wanting to call out the system. The system hasn't failed at addressing these needs. They've succeeded at not addressing them. The system engages in collusion, systemic cover-up of things that they know are not right, all in the name of winning. Winning and money, right? Ultimate, it is the ultimate Faustian bargain. Faust made a bargain with the devil. Well, you got to ask yourself, well, why are we causing irreparable harm in some cases to these athletes? And again, I'm not going to call out certain systems, but they're out there. They're in the news publicly. You got to ask yourself, well, why are they allowed to continue and nobody knows about this? Come on. A lot of people know about it but choose to do nothing about it. So, I mean, I'm working with athletes and get them to know that they aren't the blame. Well, I think, I think the reason for that is, is because in the past, excuse me, I, I think the reason, part of the reason for that is people don't want to deal with reality of what's going on. You don't want to deal with this type of stuff because, it, you know, if, you know, winning, you know, winning is the greatest mask there is. You know, when you're winning – you know, it, it hides the problems, hides the issues. When, the, when you're losing, everything gets exposed. And unfortunately, I think that this has been a fascinating interview, sir, having you on today, because you're, you're, you're addressing the core of what all this is about. And what you're trying to do is help these people that you work with understand that, who they are as an individual, and try to help them overcome how they, how they grew up and, and the negative things that happened to them. Granted, they may be a tremendous athlete. They could be the greatest athlete in the NBA, but they're still a human being, and they still have to deal with these things, correct? They are still human beings, but they operate within the system. But I also want to add to what you said. Certainly the, the common belief is that winning covers up everything and losing exposes it all. I, I want the audience to consider that winning exposes it all, too, if you want to see it. Again, when an athlete goes into a slump, when he or she is having a bad day or a bad outing, well, yeah, we are all not going to have a perfect day all the time. But a pattern of, of behavior that's a deviation from the norm, even though the team is winning, that's an indication that something else is going on that has nothing to do. So let's be, I, I want to be clear, that evidence of a need for healing you can see in victory, but you can also see in defeat. Let me ask this question as we wrap things up this morning, and this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, how do you get an athlete to talk about their issues? How do you get them to open up? We've got, what, we've I, got about I, two and a half minutes left to go. One, I set the stage. One, do they really want to talk about it? Some of them don't. Uh, two, um, I, I get them to feel... Uh, that it's up to them. I teach my student, for example. Uh, when you listen to your client long enough, they will tell you what's wrong with them. 
when you listen to them just a little bit longer, they will tell you what you can do to make them feel better. So I teach my students that the real therapist in the room is not them. The real therapist in the room is the patient of exactly. the Exactly, exactly. Same way with the athlete. He or she will tell you what's wrong with them, and if you really care and really want to listen, they will tell you what you can do to make them feel better. They are the wizard, not you. Related to that, I, I tell my students, if you spell out the word listen, just that word, the six letters, provide the key to maximizing what that word spells. <clears throat> if you shift around those letters, you come up with the word silent. So the best way to be to listen is to be silent. The best way a person can listen to themselves is to be silent and to be honest. The best way to listen to somebody else, including athletes, is to be silent and let them tell their lived experience in their words and the way and then the form they want to. So if you can provide a space and a place for them to do that, you will have more to work with than you can even hope, dream, or desire. In our last 30 seconds, Dr. Parham, give, give us your definition of self-confidence. Self-confidence is something that everybody has. They're, they aren't deficient in it whatsoever. And for me, life is about discovering those innate talents and genius that you already have. Many of your audience believe that they've seen the sun rise in the east and set in the west. Well, to get to the end of the story, given a short period of time, they never have. You see, what you've been looking at is an illusion. The sun doesn't move, never has, never will. At midnight, when there's no evidence of the sun, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means you don't see it. So I believe we have these inner strengths, these inner gems of wealth. And because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we don't see it. So my goal is to get athletes to discover the genius and the treasure chest that they are in possession of and can't get rid of. I've been talking with Dr. William Parham today, William.Parham at LMU.edu. If you want to reach him. This has been a fascinating interview, sir. I want, I, I'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much for taking your time today. You've educated a lot of people with, with tremendous wealth and knowledge. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank uh, you for having me, and I wish your audience well as they move forward in their life.